All right, everybody, before we dive into today's episode, we are brought to you by two headline sponsors, the first one being Elite Sweets. Elite Sweets is redefining the way we think about sweets with their Elite Donuts. The Elite Donut is a better-for-you donut that is packed with 13 grams of protein. They're gluten-free, keto-friendly, and contain only one gram of sugar. These have become a staple in our house as we look to have a healthy diet and want products that if we do feel like having that sweet or you know having a cheat meal or just a cheat snack, um, something that's not going to completely ruin our diet. So Elite Sweets have become that. Uh, it's a donut. It tastes delicious. It tastes just like those shitty donuts that you're used to growing up, except these ones are, are high in protein, gluten-free, they're keto-friendly for all you keto dieters out there. And most importantly, in my mind, uh, they only contain one gram of sugar. So get yours today at EliteDonut.com or on Amazon. If you use code ShaneWhite30 at checkout, you'll get 30% off your order. And that code works on both Amazon and EliteDonut.com. Again, that code is ShaneWhite30, all one word, and you'll get 30% off your order. Today's episode is also brought to you by Routine. When we sleep, we lose between a pound and a pound and a half of water, mostly just from sweating while you sleep, which is something I did not know before I started working with the guys over at Routine. They've come up with a product that they call Morning Routine. It's a single-serve packet that I take every morning, and it contains half an organic lemon, one tablespoon of apple cider vinegar, Himalayan sea salt, all six essential electrolytes, and most importantly, no sugar. Most people wake up, they grab that cup of coffee first thing in the morning. What most people don't realize is if you wake up dehydrated, which is easy to do when you, uh, when you wake up from a, a long night's sleep, uh, your body sweats and expels a lot of vapors while you're sleeping. Instead of grabbing that cup of coffee, try grabbing a morning routine packet. Each of these, as I mentioned, uh, is made up of all these great ingredients that helps rehydrate you in the morning, get your metabolism going once again. Uh, I just take one of these little, there's little single serve packets, tear one open, throw it into, you know, just a shaker bottle or 20 ounces of water, shake it up and drink it. First thing in the morning, you feel a difference. You really do feel hydrated again. You can tell the difference when you use the product and then go off of it again, the difference you feel first thing in the morning. Routine, trusted ingredients, made convenient. You can go to yourroutine.com and use code ShaneWhite30. Again, Shane White 30, same coupon code as the last brand, Elite Suites. If you use code Shane White 30 at checkout on yourroutine.com, you can get 30% off your first order. All right, everybody. I have a great guest coming up next, and I will talk to you in just a second. All right, everybody. Welcome to the show, Grace. Everybody who's listening, it's my pleasure to introduce Grace Chang from Milk Labs. Grace, welcome to the show. Hi, it's so nice to be here. It's a pleasure having you. Um, for everyone listening who doesn't know what Milk Labs is, would you mind giving everyone a rundown of the brand? Yeah. Milk Labs is an oatmeal company. I know first off, it's not the sexiest thing in the world, but it's something that I'm absolutely passionate about. It was really a company born out of convenience. I made the products for myself and, you know, my background, I 
started modeling when I was 17 and I was traveling the world um, throughout college and oatmeal was the one constant in my life for the past decade. It was literally my go-to every single morning. The only thing that got me through like literally my busiest days and I would travel just putting oatmeal into like a little Ziploc bag going to my local or not local, but any Starbucks or any coffee shop I can find. I'm like, Hey, can I get a cup and some hot water? And I just make oh, it myself yeah. because I mean, everything else on the market was, I'm not going to bad mouth anyone, but kind of gross borderline, just like very gummy texture, too much sugar. Anyways, long story short, I'm very particular about what I like, what I would um, personally put in my body and Milk Labs is exactly that. And rather than just keeping it to myself, I thought I'd share it with the world. And to that end, Milk Labs was born. Love it, very cool. And, and where did you come up with the name? So everyone thinks actually Milk Labs is an oatmeal company, a milk company, an ice cream company. And I think that, you know, somewhere along the lines, there was a little bit of confusion, but ultimately, when I first started the company, milk spelled with a Y obviously refers to non-dairy milks. And when I started the company, I had this brilliant idea to have a unique base using roasted almond meal mixed in with the oats. And that essentially would imitate the flavor, the texture, and the creaminess of like an almond milk cooked oatmeal. Mm, and you, know, okay. you just have water. And that's essentially how milk ended up in the name milk labs labs obviously nothing artificial about it i created the products in my home kitchen i mean it was just a remake of what i was eating every single day for years and years yeah it was just yeah. more so something where um for me i don't like to start my day off with a ton of sugar i like to have you know at least a good amount of fiber and whatnot just to start my day so i kind of worked backwards with just the nutritional profile in mind and then played around with the ratios of all of the products and then kind of came up with the final tasting product with, you know, all the specs I wanted to hit. And then also it tastes good and just be the perfect product. And so that's how I came up with labs, which, you know, together is milk labs. Love it. Very cool. No, that's cool. Um, I, I always love to ask, especially as we think about going zero to one, um, it's one thing to be, you know, you were, you were modeling and on the go and you were creating something out of your own kitchen. It's a big leap to go from that to launching a brand. So I'm assuming there must have been a jumping point. Did you start sharing your homemade oats with other people? Was there something that kind of was the impetus for you being like, hey, wait a minute, I think I could sell this? To be honest, I was that kid, you know, you, you're, you're a little kid and everyone's like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And everyone's like, you know, the little boys are like firefighters and you know, the girls are saying whatever. I, I think growing up in a very entrepreneurial household, both my parents have their own businesses and I've always known that I wanted to start my own company. So that was my answer. I was like, mm. I want to start my own business and you know at just a very young age i think it was something where i never knew what it was but i always knew that i never wanted to work for anybody else little did i know that came with double the amount of hours and workload and just pressure you know when it comes to work but at the same time you know if you do what you love it really becomes more of a lifestyle which is what milk labs is to me because i'm so passionate about it 
I think the aha moment was really just, I was, so I went to business school at USC because I knew I wanted to start a business. I wanted that foundation set. I was just more so thinking, all right, I'm going to go through school. I'm going to prepare myself for when I know I'm ready. And Mm -hmm. then I'll just play by ear. When I was in college, I was traveling so much. So I scheduled out my my class schedule so that I would go to class Tuesdays and Thursdays. There were like 10-hour days, back-to-back-to-back classes. And then Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'd either be on set for a 10-hour shoot, flying out to the East Coast for less than 12 hours, and then back for school, or going to Cassie. It was like, thinking back, I don't even know how I did it. And if I had to do it all over again, I can't. (laughs) So... Um, I think through all through all of that, I've always wanted to model full-time and see where that could take me and, you know, just be able to experience it all in. When I graduated college, that, that was my opportunity too. So I went to New York and it was my first New York Fashion Week. And the way it works is it's a whole circuit. You start in New York, you go to London, then Milan, then Paris. And so, you know, my first experience, my first show I walked for was Marc Jacobs. And that was amazing because that is the show to walk for, you know, especially a new phase in the modeling industry. And um, it was it was like the most insane experience. I can't even tell you, Shane. It was well, so tired. Yeah, I, bet. I mean, it sounds crazy. <laughs> but, you know, it was a really great first experience, especially with the entire circuit of like just fashion week in all the major cities. But when I came back, the most exciting thing that I was looking forward to was just having my oatmeal every day again. Really? (laughs) Yeah. It was just something where, you know, I was on the go all the time and I was literally from like Airbnb to Airbnb. And it was something that was so hard for me to have every day. And when I came back, I was like, all right, Grace, you're the kind of person who needs a set schedule, something that's organized. And modeling is the complete opposite. I get calls from my agency like, hey, Grace, can you get on a flight this afternoon to London? And I'm just like, what? No, it takes me like an hour just to get to the airport. And a lot of times I'm like, you know, London is a two-day trip. That for me is like a 14-hour flight. And so I... Wait, that's crazy. So in that industry, you might just get a call that you need to go all the way to London for a day? Yeah. It some, you know, normally international flights are like, you get a couple of days in advance notice, but a lot of times I won't even get my, my flight information until the night before I have to fly out. So it's a lot of times. I didn't know that. mm -hmm. And whenever you book jobs, it's kind of like, Hey, Grace, can you be on set tomorrow morning at 5am in Malibu? And I'm, I'm here in like, the suburbs and I'm just like, okay, let me just drop everything and go do to that. get there. Yeah. 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 Is that, yeah. so that's a really interesting. Cause I mean, obviously I know the CPG space going from modeling to CPG. That's got, that had to have been quite a, just a shock to the system. I mean, it's such a, you talk about night and day difference of, of what your world looks like. Was there a point where you were just like, I'm tired of either the modeling side or was it more of a you were jumping to milk labs type situation or both um so modeling has always 
you know, between us, or I guess yeah. and anyone else that's listening. <laughs> and, and everyone listening. <laughs> <laughs> Modeling has always been kind of a love-hate relationship for me. The love part is being able to, like, grow up and see all these big brands and, um, you know, be the face of big campaigns that you never, ever thought you could be a part of. And it's humbling. But at the same time, a lot of modeling is very um, surface level, right? How you look, mm. you're able to represent like the crowd that they're trying to sell to. Um, so a lot of times I'll be like the face of a campaign targeting like the Chinese market or so funny. So, and I don't, I don't know how much I can share on here, but like, yeah, for sure. Like, yeah, whatever you want. <laughs> A lot of times, right, it's, it, it is very surface level. So, for example, if sure. I'm casting for a job that I'm, um, you know, doing like a poolside shoot, there was one time, and this was years and years ago, I've been modeling for 10 years now. So, I remember in the beginning, they were like, oh, send a picture of you in a bikini from behind. We want to see what the model's butt looks like because there's a scene where she's like laying by the pool or whatever. And obviously, I didn't get the job. I'm like... <laughs> That that must that has to be changing a lot. I, unless it has, if just feel like with the, everything that's happened in the last few years, there's no way that's like acceptable. Yes and no. I think it's like if it's not said out loud. I mean, of course, if you're going to cast a model for a bikini shoot, she has to be, you know, she has to make your bikinis look good. And I sure. completely understand that. I'm not against it. If I was that company, I would choose the same. I think now there's more variety when it comes to like body shapes and inclusivity with all the different types of bodies. But ultimately, I know I'm smart. I know I can build something. And that's not something that I could do in modeling. I can build my career. I can shoot for, you know, I did campaigns for Bottega Veneta. I, I've done lots of shows and, you know, SD Lauder, like the, the very big household names that are just everyone knows them but sure yeah and i'm i'm so like humbled to be able to shoot for big brands like that but at the same time i think i will never i have never felt the kind of achievement um and sense of like what is that word i'm looking for like sense of accomplishment i guess mm -hmm. When I, you know, compared to Milk Labs and seeing my hard work come to fruition and landing those accounts, seeing it grow, like getting my first mill, that kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Oh, for sure. There's something yeah. different, I'm sure, between like building something, selling something and profiting versus just, you know, it sounds, it sounds like the modeling agency and not agency, but I guess that whole industry is just, you're kind of, you're sitting and waiting, hoping you get a big opportunity. And then you're hoping you do really well. And then you're kind of waiting for the next one. It seems like there's not a lot of control. Yeah, there isn't because it all goes through the agency. I mean, granted, I owe so much of my life to the modeling industry and my, my position, like not position, like the work that I've done, because sure. I mean, I made a lot of money. I self-funded milk labs completely. And I've never good for you. Money. For the company and you know i think it's part of like my slow growth business model which has mm -hmm. prevented me from like needing funding or anything at this point i mean granted we're only four and a half years in but 
at the same time, like so many CPG brands look for funding, like before they even launch or right when they launch, you know what I mean? Definitely. Yeah. I know it's funny being, I told you before we started recording, being at RX bar, I knew RX bar story and I knew that they, they bootstrapped and self-funded it. And that's why it got such a big multiple and it was such a big deal in the industry. But it's been funny over the last, even since COVID and starting this podcast and everything I do, how few brands do that. I, I know it's it's a, it's not like it's an easy thing to do. Otherwise, a lot of brands would. But man, it's a, it's such a different. I feel like it's such a different outcome. Most likely at the end of the journey, if you're if you are t- if you're, if you're raising a ton of money, there's just no way it's the same outcome that I guess I I watched happen. Um, and I always thought that was the norm. Obviously, it's not. That it was kind of a, a very unique situation, but. Good for you. I mean, that gives you a ton of power, especially if you ever do want to sell it. I think honestly, people look for funding when they are trying to sell it. Mm-hmm. Haven't you seen that? I, I don't think that nowadays, if you want to be a national brand, if you want to have rapid growth, you almost have to have funding. I don't know any companies who don't. And so many people I've talked to, they're like, Grace, you know, you should get funding. You should go national. You should, you know, keep launching into new retailers and i'm just like no 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 at this point i think i COVID is honestly what messed up my like focus um because so the way i started to build my company was mainly food service coffee shops hotels corporate co-working um all of that but then i lost all of my customers when it came to you know the pandemic yeah sure that's actually when I started really focusing on e-commerce and also launching into retail because people were clearing the shelves on the re- like in grocery stores. It was the only oh, place yeah. people were still spending money. And I mean, like the growth was great, especially if, since it was all just pretty organic in the sense where I did all my pitches, I do all my sales. And then, you know, slowly we got into one, into two, into three chains, and then, you know, rapidly more. But it came to a point where like few, and for me, it was like so focused on just expanding. I didn't really take the time to look at how we were performing. And so a year later, after I got into all of these retail chains, I finally sat down and looked at the numbers and I was like, holy shit, we're not moving product in a lot of these stores. Oh yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Because it's a huge issue. A lot of people don't realize that until it's too late. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, like being able to nurture and grow within a customer that you've already like acquired is much easier than getting a brand new customer. But even then, you know, it's like, I think a lot of us, including me, just don't realize that we're just so focused on like increasing the doors, um, the door count, and then just like forgetting about all the customers that we've committed to, you know, we've- yeah we've promised them like not only product on their shelves, but also the support to help move product off the shelves. And at the end of everything, and it was only not until like earlier this year, I want to say that I realized I totally just went down this deep rabbit hole and I was like, all right, I got to stop. And the best way I like to describe this is that I've adopted all of these children over the past year, year to two years. And I realized I never wanted any of them. And now they're expensive and I have to take care of them <laughs> and I have to nurture them. 
till they grow up, you know? And yeah, so, it's a good way to think about it. And so, you know, honestly, I, I, we just launched in Whole Foods Northeast and then Target in California and then, you know, a bunch of other natural chains, but it was the last of it. I've turned down everything else. I've stopped submitting for category reviews. And it's not because we're better than everyone else because we don't want to. It's really, honestly, yes, I don't want to, but for the reason that I would rather spend all my time and money now to nurture and take care of all these kids have already adopted. You know, I can't. Yeah, no, for sure. I know. I used to always hear this analogy of it's one thing to get the doors. This is, I'm going to butcher this. It's, it's be <laughs> Obviously, step one is getting the doors, but it's more important to move the product off the shelf than just getting it on the shelf. And a lot of people forget that latter part. And what the I know one of the better examples, I can't remember what podcast it was. Um, Jimmy DeChico from Super Coffee explained it really well, how they, they did that, where they would... They'd get a retailer and they would build it up, build it up, build it up, sample, figure out how to get velocities really high in every retailer early on, and then go to the next one. And they just kept re replicating that. It took a long time, right? But it it does do a lot more damage than it does to pay slotting and get on shelves and then not be able to move the product off the shelf. That is an expensive problem to solve. So for you, then I guess my question is, I mean, it sounds like now you're getting into some major retailers. So um, for everyone listening, can you give a little more of a background on just so what makes your product you know different when it, if they're on if they're in a retailer and they see Milk Labs, what what specifically in the product uh, is like the big you know differentiator that you you would explain to people who are listening and want to give it a try because obviously you love it, you created a brand around it, but would love to know what the differentiator is for folks who who want to try it. Yeah, definitely. So I mean. From the outside looking in, right, any, like, you, you go into an aisle, a, a certain category, and we're talking oatmeal right now. So all of the oatmeal cups, a lot of customers are just going to look at the different brands and, like, these are pretty much the same. Like, they, mm. they don't really know unless somebody's there educating them exactly why product A and product B are different. But the truth is no two products on the market are exactly the same unless they're private labeled. Everything is different. Whether okay, yeah, right. Whether that's you know, offered or the sugar content or, you know, just overall the quality of the ingredients and things like that. For Milk Labs, I always lead my pitch when it comes to like wholesale sales or whatever. Um, I always lead with three top things because this I feel as though is the biggest differentiator to most of my competitors on the market. Obviously, there's a lot of other things. But, you know, like nowadays, vegan, gluten-free, non-GMO, all of these things, they're not special. They're expected. It's, like, supposed to be part of the foundation now. Like, if you don't have all th those things, like, what are you? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Such high expectations now. So I never even lead with that because it's, like, so, so are every single other, like, all the other brands here. Um, and for Milk Labs, we take pride in really just – being as minimal as possible. I don't believe in all of the fillers, all of the extra things that people put in a product because truth be told, you wouldn't be putting all those products if you made it at home. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's Labs, a good thing about it. Yeah, Milk Labs is truly like homemade. So the top three things that we always lead with, one, four to six ingredients, that's it. Every single thing that you see on the ingredient list you can pronounce, you know what it is, 
and none of them are natural flavors. So no added flavors. You know, there are companies who actually market natural, like natural products, real ingredients, all of that, like so hard. And then you look in the back and it's like, there's no real X, Y, and Z. It's only just like natural flavor. But when it comes to natural and artificial flavoring, they are essentially the same, 80 to 90% chemical junk. The only difference is its source, but everything else, including the nutritional profile, like what it is, it's the same. It's a, it's a marketing gimmick of what they can label natural or artificial. So with Milk Labs, if I say it's blueberry maple, you get real freeze-dried blueberries, single ingredient. Everything we source is single ingredient. It has no nice. no, um, no preservatives, no like added colorings, nothing, no flavors. And then with maple, everyone uses maple sugar, right? It's like so overwhelming, the flavor. Um, we use maple sugar. I pay like an arm and a leg to get that shipped from Vermont to California just to use it in my product. And it's stupid expensive. It is so expensive, but to me, it, it's worth it. You know, we have the real thing. Why do we have to trick our customers into believing they're getting the real thing by using whatever ad flavors when the real thing is available to us? And I know why it's to cut costs and charge right. the customer just as much and pocket that extra margin. And I get it from a big company standpoint, but that's never how I wanted to go about, you know, selling a product because I would never sell something that I wouldn't eat myself at home or make myself at home. Um, and then the third thing is we only use five grams of organic coconut sugar to sweeten for an entire serving for all of our different um, flavors. You'll never see anything more. Awesome. So it's five grams, like kind of like a, like a sprinkle. Yeah, it's not that much, of, right? Like a little... No, it's, it's, it's really little compared to a lot of the other brands. So on average, in the natural channel, it's about 50% less sugar. And then okay. if you're comparing to like Quakers, Quakers, their oatmeal is a third sugar. Yeah. I literally and, the calculation. So. And it's, and it's interesting too. I mean, I'm on your website and you know, a six pack for 19.98 for the flavor I'm looking at. I mean, that's not that bad. Like you think about for wanting to get a healthy breakfast and you want something that's convenient on the go. And these are shelf stable, right? Yeah, you, you can throw so them in your bag. Too. You just add hot water or milk, depending on where you are, and it's ready in three minutes. It's so easy. And that price breaks down to about three dollars a meal. And like people spend five, six dollars on a coffee. And I was gonna say, yeah. <laughs> you know? Usually coffee's more than that. So Yeah. That makes a ton of sense. It's funny, it's funny because the way that Quakers have just trained the human mind to think about oatmeal. It's like, well, why am I paying so much for a single serving, which is like a sustainable, real ingredient breakfast, right? When I can get it for 99 cents a packet or a cup for Quakers. Right. So I'm like, okay, if you want to buy a packet full of sugar, please be my guest. But, you know, that's not something where we can compare and we really... We probably take less margin than Quaker stuff, even though their products are so much cheaper. And it's because they use all of the fillers. It's just oats, sugar, and then the artificial flavoring that they use. And, um, you know, we think it's worth paying more on our end. And that just coincidentally gets passed on to the customer 
But at a $3 price point, it's really not that unreasonable. I would agree. Yeah, I totally would agree. Um, so it sounds like you've already gone through that stage where you maybe got too many doors. So you kind of, have you peeled doors back or have you just stopped bringing on new doors? We just stopped bringing on new doors. It's something okay. where, you know, in order to launch in a, in any chain, it's, it's a huge investment, whether it's a free fill or commitment to quarterly promotions. Do you know how much oatmeal I have to sell in order to make back $2,000 worth of spend on a display? Oh yeah. Yeah. At our X bar, that was, I was in charge of all of our trade spend and promotional management. So I was always the one that was like, Hey Shane, is it cool if we spend this much on slotting or this much on a end cap? And I was always doing that math and we, that's what we would do. We'd go back and be like, well, do we think we can, you know, sell this much more over, you know, we would do the same math you're talking about. Um, but it's crazy. It's wild how much that real estate costs. Yeah. And honestly, I almost guarantee nobody is positive during the promo months if they're paying like not only for all of the discounts through the, you know, the Unify and KEs of the world, plus a, say it's like a $4,000 display at a chain that sells pretty slow, you know? And it, yeah. sometimes it's, sometimes as a brand, you think, crap, I'm not doing well. The product's something about it, it's not moving. And then you realize it's not even just you. It's like all things considered, the store foot traffic is dead. You know, like at that point, it's like you can only sell so much no matter what you do. You can drive all your customers to go to the store, but you know, you're, you're still very limited. So I think it's very important to not just accept any retailers unless that is your goal to just you know, increase as many doors as possible. And then you have tons of funding to pay for it and, you know, just go very aggressively and be millions negative every single year, which a lot of companies do that. It's part of their like business model to just only focus on that, like gross sales growth number. Yeah, sure. Um, and I think it's changing. It seems like it's changing a little bit with like the economic conditions. I feel like even in the last year, I've had so many more conversations around people who are less worried about top line and more worried about bottom line, which me being a finance person, that's always been a confusing thing to me to see people only worried about sales and not about making money. But it's, it's funny when the economy kind of takes a downturn a little bit, sometimes that, that pivot happens. Mm -hmm. I think, I think with um, e-commerce based companies, they care a little bit more about bottom line, but when it comes to just strictly retail, you know? Yeah. They're, they're yeah. <laughs> I feel like it, it, retail is tough too. Cause unless you have a good system in place, you're sometimes flying a little bit in the dark. I've always thought, um, even in my experience without like a TPM system, you're, you're estimating what trade spend billbacks will look like. And you're hoping you're right. Um, but those can be drastically off and then you have a way bigger bill than you thought you were going to have, which throws everything off. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it is interesting how the retail world works for you. Has e-commerce been, has that been a huge component of your overall strategy since you're kind of slowing down door count? Are you, are you trying to focus more on e-com? We are trying to focus more on e-com. E-com was kind of something that I've totally neglected since day one. I think it's important to, in the beginning, obviously you start a company, you get your EIN. The first thing you do is you set up your website, you know, milklabs.com. Yeah. 
Sure. I'm going to make sure this is mine. Um, and then from there, it was kind of like, so to back it up two steps, I had no idea what I was doing because I never started a company before. I have, I, I had zero connections in the food and beverage industry. The only thing that I knew was my dad who does um, also just like wholesale clothing manufacturing. So very, very like back end stuff does not even, okay. you know, the knowledge in this industry and how things work here. And then on my mom's side, she does um, commercial real estate development, which oh, is cool. a completely different. Totally industry different. Well. Yeah. So I'm like, Hey, if, if you can give me advice on this, they're just like, I've never set up a website before. We're like, you know, that kind of thing. So I went into it and I was like, all right, I'm going to start this website, you know, use one of those free Shopify templates, put together this like website. I was like, wow, this looks amazing. We're going to kill it. <laughs> and then you realize traffic really doesn't just come naturally. You really have no. to drive it. And being the only employee at Milk Labs for, you know, the first couple of years, to be honest, it was something where I knew I had to put my all of my time and focus into something where I knew it was going to have the ROI I needed in order to grow. Sure, and makes sense. Selling a product that's you know a three dollar SRP, I need to move volume. I can't just be selling six packs and like expecting slinging six and twelve packs will you know grow my company, especially sure. that. Um, Obviously, I, if I'm the one out there selling the product, growing the company, I don't have time to be in a commercial kitchen making the oatmeal myself. So I took a huge leap of faith when I first started the company and just decided to work with the with a co-packer. And the co-packer, okay. so we started off with three SKUs. The co-packer required us a 20,000 20, minimum per SKU. Um, so I was like, okay. I'll buy 60,000 units and um, I'll figure it out, right? So I invested a ton of money, which was like, you know, everything that I saved from modeling. I got the product because it's hard to sell something that you don't physically have yet. And then I brought in all this product. Luckily, I was able to just like store it at my dad's warehouse. And oh, nice. Like, okay, so who wants to buy my oatmeal? I have a ton of it, you know? <laughs> Um, and it really just like lit this huge fire on, under my ass. And it was like, all right, sell, sell, sell. Don't let food go to waste. Don't let your investment go to waste and do everything you can to just sell through before expiration. Yeah. Once shelf life, which really means you have like nine to 10 months and that's cutting it real close because the customer needs to also have some time have to time. think through it. Right. Um, and ultimately, you know, grew just selling to a bunch of coffee shops, hotels, anybody that I can get a hold of. Because when I first started trying to sell to a grocery store, it didn't move. We were sitting at a four dollars $450 price point in the beginning. Nobody knew the brand. Everyone was buying Bob's Red Mill, Purely Elizabeth, and all those other big national brands that, you know, just had all this brand trust. And I was like, right. This is not my market. I stopped pitching to grocery stores a few months into my business. And I was like, all right, I gotta, I gotta go a different route. And 
I sold through everything. I was profitable my first year. It was actually insane. Wow. Good for you. I was going to say, did you have, I was, this is always interesting. I think. So when you produced all that and you knew you had to sell it, did you, was it kind of like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to go sell this. Or was it, did you have a backup plan where you like, if I don't sell this, what was, what was step two? There wasn't that. I was like, this is my only option. I have to make it work. It doesn't matter, you know, what comes my way. If it's a no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to follow up with you in a couple of months and no, it's never a no forever. I was like very aggressive with my sales in the most friendly way. I think a lot of people could see how passionate I was about this new sure. brand and, yeah. you know, hearing from the founder and making everything very personalized and just like, Hey, you know, how can I help you sell more oatmeal? Like I even do this, do that. Like now I think a lot of my customers buy and work with milk labs because they love who they're working with mm. and we show them that we care. And it's, something where say a competitor comes in and tries to swoop on our business. They're like, no, we, we like the product. Our customers like the product, but more than anything, I'm loyal to not even milk labs, but loyal to grace. Oh, um, that's good. I mean, that's powerful. Yeah. yeah. And like, it's funny because I have like national, um, um, hotel chains that I work with and I'll, I'll, I'll reach out to some of them like year end. I'm like, Hey, you know, do you need anything before the year ends? Like I can get you a reorder. I, I remember there was one customer I did that and he was like, Grace, let's, let's end your year on a good note. You tell me what I, you tell me what I should order and I'll take it. And I'm wow. like, what? I was like, I'm not going to give you a pallet or anything. You probably sell through like 20 cases a month. So let's just do your regular order. So. People wow. Over. But I mean, Hey, that's powerful to even have that kind of relationship. Yeah. And honestly, those relationships and the people that I've met just working, you know, like pitching to them and then becoming friends, I'm like sending memes and gifts like every day to my customers. And we just have such a, such a great relationship. It makes work fun. Like that's I genuinely what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. That's awesome. So you're in a good, it sounds like you're in a good spot. I mean, it sounds like from just hearing the story today, you've gone from total concept, making it in your kitchen to being on shelf, to selling it, to creating relationships. I mean, it sounds like things are going really, really, really well. What is the next one to three years look like in your eyes for the brand? I think it's continuing to grow in our golden channel of food service and then making sure that we nurture all of our retail accounts that we've taken on before, you know, expanding more with that side of things. And then ultimately launching new product lines um, okay. outside of oatmeal, which, you know, for me, I've always been somebody that's on the go. Not so much now because I'm just like married to my computer <laughs> with this business. I know how that is. Yep. <laughs> But I think, so with Milk Labs, and I'll, I'll end it with this. With Milk Labs, our values, and you know, it, we never compromise. Our values will always be flavor, nutrition, and convenience. Every single brand out there has, you know, compromised one of the three just for either, you know, like if it's convenient, then it tastes like shit. If it's healthy, then it's not convenient. If you know, it, it's so hard to get a good balance of the three. And all three of those things are so important to me, especially, you know, from modeling from a decade ago to where I am at now, my health, my 
energy, my overall well-being is so important to me that I take care. I mean, without your health, you don't have anything. Hundred percent. Say that all the time. Yeah. So for me, I'm I'm a snacker. You know, whether I come out with snack line or dessert line or whatever it may be, it will always hold all three of those values. And, you know, we'll never deviate from it. We'll never compromise. Very cool. That's awesome, Grace. I mean, sounds like a really, really cool brand that you've brought to life and is scaling and growing. So good for you. Um, as we quickly are almost out of time, the last two questions I love to ask. The first one is, is there any source of knowledge that you've either read, listened to? So whether it's a book, a podcast, an article that you just want to share with the audience today that you thought was impactful? To be honest, I have recently started just signing up for a ton of different newsletters. And most of them are like trade newsletters where it's like, there's one that's D to C something. There's so many, like I can't think of the names off the top of my head. Sure. Just always educating yourself. I don't think there's one source that can just be like the Hail Mary of them all. I think learning from multiple people, different people's experiences, and just like taking whatever works for you and always taking it all with a grain of salt. And, you know, there's not one model that fits for everyone. It's more of a trial and error, testing things out and seeing how that works for you. Got it. I love that. Yeah, I'm constantly like signing up and then unsubscribing from ones that don't work. I do that all the time. So I'm with you on that one. Um, the next question, this is my favorite one when it comes to just getting shit done. So whether it's for your business, personal goals, business goals, whatever it may be, what tools do you use to plan your day and work towards getting the shit done, right? Like making progress. Is it pen and paper? Are you an app person? What do you use to organize your life and just get things done? So I know a lot of people use different things like Asana or whatever. I honestly... In terms of my follow-ups, so obviously Google Calendar is like my go-to for everything. I I have to like schedule my friends in onto my Google Calendar. Otherwise, I would totally forget. But when it comes to like my follow-up, I just use Excel, right? I put a a date of when I reached out and when I need to follow up, put all the notes. And instead of paying for a very expensive CRM, Excel works wonderfully for me. I am so organized. I never miss a follow-up and it's so easy for me to stay on track in terms of like to-do lists and things I want to implement. I've got my notepad here and literally like a ton of different, (laughs) just like all over my table. Yeah. Just a bunch of post-its and, you know, I just, it's the only way that I can keep track of all the different things just like going on in my mind. Sure. Cause yeah. I don't truly, if I don't write it down, I don't have it in front of me reminding me every single day until I cross it off with my, my pen, I'm not going to get it done. So being able to like, you know, it's like sometimes you write things down and then you, just to cross it off and you're like, yeah, I, I, I got this done. It feels so Definitely. good. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I do. I do I'm know that. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. I've, I've used, I use, I feel like I use pen and paper. I use Google sheets a lot or Excel. Yeah. I, I'm an Excel person too. And I, I notice I can organize what I need to get done when really quickly. And it's like a good place to just like dump things that I know I need to get done and then organize it later. And then I can know I can see it on my phone, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Um, love that. Yeah. Especially like nowadays, everyone's sold by all the different like 
tech and platforms and blah, blah, blah. I think it's so unnecessary. And especially as like a scrappy little startup like us, we we try and save where we can. And honestly, I feel like I do better with my just my my to do list and what I got to do every single day than people who pay five hundred dollars a month for a CRM or whatever it may be. I'm with you. Yeah, you don't. you can do so much with just the simple tools around you. I totally agree. Um, as we're running out of time, Grace, do you want to plug just how people can follow you and how they can follow the brand and um, how people can try the product? Sure. I think the best place to go to is milklabs.com and it's spelled M-Y-L-K-L-A-B-S.com. Mm-hmm.